Welcome one and all to the Stop Press Podcast. I'm Ben Fahey, publisher and editorial director. And this week, the editor Damien Venuto had the pleasure of speaking with Peter Field, one of the world's foremost experts in advertising effectiveness. And he's very worried about the current trends, so much so that he has decided to become slightly more confrontational in an effort to counteract the high concentration of bullshit he sees in the market. He's looked at decades worth of case studies through the IPA data bank and figured out how the best brands build profitability. And he believes the current focus on short-term activation over long-term business effects is a very dangerous shift. He was in New Zealand recently to speak to guests of FCB and TVNZ, and he talked with us about the magical 60-40 rule, the perverse incentives of ROI, the need for big brands to use mass media, the role of social media for brand building, and the slick and very successful, has to be argued, PR campaign that has been waged by the rather secretive digital behemoths. I couldn't help but, I, obviously, in the lead-up to any interview, I always have to do a bit of Google stalking. Mm. And I noticed that one of the first things that came up with your name was that you're regarded as the godfather of effectiveness. So how does one gain that title? Do you know, I wish I could answer that. I don't even know who first coined the expression. It might have been someone in Australia, but it, it might have been somebody in London. But, um, I mean, I've spent uh, the, the last 10 years or so spending a, a lot of time reading case studies, analysing case studies, and analysing the database in case studies. So everything I do is all about effectiveness, and I guess I probably do sometimes come over a bit gangster about it. Um, so <laughs> I, I love I love it. I think Godfather is, is a great expression. And one day I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go the whole piece and dress gangster but um but that's as long as i walk out of here with my kneecaps peter like, that's all i'm hoping for exactly <laughs> no no horses heads in the bed. so but i mean effectiveness is a very big interest to you and yeah. it comes at a time when people perhaps aren't talking about it as much as what they used to so why is it that effectiveness is such an area of interest well, you know, I think a lot of marketers around the world have discovered in recent years that something seems to be wrong. You know, they've been doing everything that they were told they should do in, you know, in the, uh, during the digital revolution. They put their money into social, into search. You know, they've, they've been doing everything they were told they should do, playing with big data. And yet, increasingly, many of them are finding that they're just not getting the kind of growth and returns that they expected and once enjoyed. So I think there is a growing realisation that there is something broken in marketing. And the data I work with absolutely echoes that. You know, we've had um, a kind of 20-year run of improving results. We've seen campaigns uh, increasingly uh, learning the tricks of the, of the media landscape and learning how to use new media and getting better and better results. And all of that stopped sometime around the beginning of the global financial crisis. And so I 2008, think, like around Yeah, around about then. Somebody's difficult to pinpoint it exactly, but at some point around about then, suddenly all the effectiveness indicators started turning down. So clearly something wrong was going on. And I, I put it down most... Uh, kind of centrally to an obsession with short-termism and short-term results. And this has been the biggest single factor, I think, that explains why the wheels seem to be coming off the marketing machine. And it's for two reasons, really. Because when you get short-term, it changes two things. The kind of strategies you pursue, the kinds of things you want to say about your brand, 
Um, and it changes the kind of media choices that you make. So you choose strategies that work most powerfully to drive short-term sales now. So those are going to be what I sometimes refer to as activation messages, behavioural prompts. could be a deal or an offer or uh, perhaps a seasonal message or some reason why you should just damn well go out and buy it now. And, you know, so you do more of that and you do less of the kind of thing that builds preference for the brand in the long term. You know, those usually emotional kind of cells that mean that, you know, next year's sales results are actually going to be easier than this year's were because, uh, to achieve that is, because people have started to really like my brand and warm to it and they want to buy it. I don't have to keep selling to them all the time. They actually want to buy it. So you start to change the messages um, from brand building, smalls activation, but you also choose media channels. You'll make media choices that are also geared to short-term selling. And of course, that plays very conveniently to the world of digital because digital happens to have some immensely powerful activation tools. Search, the whole pay-per-click kind of world is a hugely powerful way of activating yeah, sales definitely. in the short term. It kind of feels like um, relying on gambling to to earn revenue. It might work in the short, for short run sometimes, but in terms yeah. of a long-term strategy, it perhaps doesn't work that well. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think... To a degree, you know, putting money into short-term sales activation tools is, of course, very sensible. No company can sensibly try and live exclusively in the long term. You know, we've got to we've got to make sure we're not just making sales next year easier than this year, but also that we're getting the most out of our increasingly, um, hopefully, valued brand by consumers. So you have to do long and short-term piece together. It's a question of balance, and this is the problem. The more we live in this short-term world the more it has become imbalanced. And we've seen billions, billions of pounds, billions of dollars pulled out of brand building messages and brand building media and moved across into activation messages and activation media. You know, and that has been driven, I suspect, by a number of factors. We can't blame it on any one. Partly the risk-averse mood that followed the global financial crisis when I think, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of CFOs and CEOs said, look, you know, this long-term piece is a luxury. We just need to get down to survival. And that, unfortunately, hasn't changed, hasn't bounced back in the way it usually does after recession. Period. So what does, that, what does that do to creativity when... Kills it. Completely. Completely kills it. I mean, this is the trouble. You know, creativity is the single most valuable thing that we can harness to long-term sales. There is nothing else we can do, period, in terms of... Uh, what we say and the media choices we make that can come close to the extra value that highly creative ads can bring. It's an order of magnitude uplift over other highly creative campaigns are an order of magnitude more effective than none. But all of that only plays out in the long term. In the short term, they are if anything, less effective than non-creative campaigns. Because what works best in the short term is a very bald, unvarnished message that just gives you a reason to go and buy my brand. I'm not going to try and seduce you with creative, emotional stuff for the long term. I'm just going to tell you to goddamn well go and buy my brand. And I'll probably retarget that message at you a dozen times until I've beaten you around the head so often you just buy their brand. I suppose That's the- where you get... I suppose the one uh, counter argument that somebody might have is that they they could um, raise a, 
the example of a brand that's done incredibly well in the digital space, like uh, a young brand that that's emerged in, in the digital age and only used digital to mm-hmm. to to grow and to yep. to develop. So Karma Cola would be an example over here internationally. I'm sure um, mm-hmm. you have a few examples in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you what would you say to to well, in that regard? Here's the interesting observation that what we see globally more and more is that these brands that built themselves and created themselves on the internet increasingly are turning to good old-fashioned mass media to maintain the momentum. Because when you're young and unique, you know, and particularly if you trade in the digital space, you know, if you are an Amazon, for instance, of course you don't need offline media to do that. But there comes a point when actually to maintain the momentum and to conquer new categories, as many of these have to, to broaden your sales pitch that you suddenly discover the benefits of mass marketing and mass media um, and they are very considerable so you know we have in the uk both google and facebook major advertisers in traditional media tv outdoor it's a great irony it's a great <laughs> irony and that these these two organizations both told us in their in their past that they were going to kill advertising and yet they are both now essentially Conventional advertising media, they are selling space for the kind of advertising messages that they once said they were going to kill. So do you think marketers, because we've seen a growing trend now of marketers either pulling back on television advertising or pulling back on magazine advertising, pulling out of uh, newspaper advertising entirely. Do you think that they're doing this to the detriment of their long-term strategy? Do you think um, it might be an error to to act so hastily in terms of yeah. pulling that budget out? Well, what, what we do know is that the most successful campaigns tend to combine on and offline. So, yes, yeah, sure, we need diversity in the media, within reason. depends on our budget. If we have limited budgets, then, frankly, um, spreading them across too many media channels is probably not a good idea. But what we, we do know that there are great uh, multipliers and synergies that can work if we mix online and offline sensibly and judiciously. So um, to some extent, you, perhaps the reallocation of funds and experiment in creating multi-channel campaigns is sensible. But the entire withdrawal, this, what I really question is the completely unfounded belief in a uniquely digital future, because we already know that's not going to be the way it plays out. We know that you know, successful brands will coexist across both digital and, you know, for want of a better word, analogue platforms. But increasingly, this is becoming an irrelevant distinction. You know, I work in the UK with news brands, so they were once just a print medium, but now they're a print and online medium. The question is what they deliver to the consumer, which is reliable news, which helped us we really <coughs> need in the modern world. So, And that can be delivered in a number of ways. Sometimes I might want to read it on my tablet, sometimes I might want to read it in print, and so on and so forth. So actually the delivery platform is not always as important as we sometimes think it is. But, but yeah, but I would generally strongly caution any advertiser from withdrawing wholesale money from proven, established traditional media in order to put it into what are, in many instances, actually not fully proven digital media. It's also um, at, at a risk of the brand safety because, I mean, you this week you've read a few scandals with um, brand ads ending ending up on extremist websites, on dubious websites, on controversial Absolutely. websites. So Absolutely. you don't get yeah. that when you when yeah. you go to a trusted yeah. source, I suppose. Yeah. No, I mean this is this is the problem with you know 
the kind of programmatic, algorithm-driven way of thinking is there just are none of those human checks. There's no kind of common sense thing. And I don't know, I'm sure the guys at Google and Facebook will say, yeah, but we'll get there. We'll, you know, we'll get the killer algo going one day that will be able to make these artificially intelligent decisions. But in the meantime, we're going to be witnessing an awful lot of very dodgy media deplacement. So in the UK... You know, the UK government has pulled advertising from uh, the Google platform because they were discovering that Royal Navy recruitment ads were funding terrorist organisations. So when you get these kinds of misplacements, when you get household family brand names appearing on kind of pornographic and quasi-pornographic websites, um, places they would never have allowed any human being to put them on, then you realise you've got a problem. But of course, you know, the problem requires human intervention at the moment. And this is the one thing that um, the digital platforms have been very reluctant to commit to because they know there's a big cost. Massive cost. Um, I mean, massive to, cost to, to update to a blacklist every day is not an easy Absolutely. task. Absolutely. <laughs> but with great um, authority and influence comes great responsibility. And, you know, they're very happy to accept the authority and influence, but they've been much less um, happy to accept the responsibility that comes with it. So they are, I think, going to be forced. Well, they can, they can either accept this willingly and embrace the need to change uh, in, um, themselves, or sooner or later, I think government regulators will force them if they don't, to find some way of cleaning up this act, you know, um, it's going to happen. What, what is interesting um, is that you've also seen, with the rise of Google and Facebook, you've seen the use of the language of effectiveness being used in the PR of digital. Yes. So you have things like targeted being used, yes. um, cut away yes. the fluff, yes. um, focus on the consumer that matters, um, Oh, and no. what, what are your and thoughts about that? Because oh, it does seem like a very yeah, clever it's PR a game. very seductive. And of course, you know, I'm not saying that tightly targeted communications don't have their value, but unfortunately their value lies exclusively in the short term. If I want to activate short-term sales, then if I've got a highly targeted a digital database that I can use, that is a very effective and efficient way of doing it. But unfortunately, the long-term success of brands relies on very broadly targeted broadcast media because we need to be bringing consumers into our brand we need to be warming them up to their brand long ahead of way ahead of purchase long before they get around and if we don't do that we end up with um, a, a kind of bidding war for that last moment of the decision and that is an extremely damaging and dangerous prospect for a brand owner the whole point of mass marketing it gives you options you create desire for your brand and um, you know there are many impressive case studies whereby building the brand actually uh, the, the brand owners have been able to reduce their expenditure on things like search for instance so you know these these two work in different directions search um, is very much about you know the short term brand building very much about the long term so if you create a culture of short-term measurement and short-term measurement it plays very strongly to the world of you know digital and digital tools so it's been very convenient doesn't the, the whole dynamic of marketing create a bit of a problem in the sense that marketers tend to stay in um, a single job for, say, 18 months and they need yeah. to drive results in that month, yeah. in those 18 months, yeah. in order to get a good, a good like, I don't know, no, reference absolutely. letter? Yeah, and it's not just CMOs, it's CEOs and everyone. Everyone, you know, this is a problem that the tenure of the job um, means that often they have no incentive to be long term. I think there is a growing mood amongst the investment community 
uh, around the world to say, look, CEOs really should not be rewarded for taking short-term decisions. You know, their bonuses should somehow reflect the value they add to that business over the medium to long term. Um, yeah, that's yet to work its way through, but I mean, it is—it's certainly the beginning. Can of Can you imagine the CEO is biting back against that a little bit? Yes, ab- <laughs> absolutely. But you know, it—it it, it needs to happen. You know, one of the great benefits that family-owned businesses, like you know, a number of German businesses are, or indeed the Mars organization, is that these are not organizations that are going to take the long-term value of their brands and businesses lightly. They will not thank anyone for exploiting for short-term gain, you know, sacrificing the long-term success. So family businesses have often have, you know, often have a great advantage because they inherently have this inbuilt desire to nourish the long-term, to, to preserve it. You can't future. leave your family, I suppose. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, you know, conventional commercial businesses need to get some of that going for them as well. We've become far too driven by short-term effects and short-term success. Uh, you've spoken a little bit about your 60-40 rule for yeah, yeah. effectiveness. Um, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit and just yeah, explain no, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in many ways a very simple analysis, but it seems incredibly robust. It's been robust over time, and it seems to be robust from category to category and even geography to geography, that there is some kind of optimum balance. And it may vary slightly from the, from the 60-40 rule, but that we should probably, if we want the most an effective and sustainable um, campaign for, for business success, we should be spending about 60% of our budget on building long-term brand-driven uh, success. So, so, so working on positive associations with our brand, making consumers like and want our brand. And the remaining 40% we should be spending on short-term, short-term um, activations. So essentially exploiting this growing sense of popularity we have in our brand in order to drive short-term sales. And, you know, time and time again, we find, we, we, you know, you can look at um, campaigns across a number of metrics for success, long-term success, and always you come to the same conclusion that it was the ones that did the 60-40 balance that were the, were the top achievers. So there seems to be some real um, robustness in it. So we make that suggestion, but we already know that um, in the UK, and I'm sure in New Zealand as well, that the typical advertiser has already drifted way beyond that. They've gone way beyond 40% of the budget on activation. You hear you about know, certainly, ridiculous Certainly 50%. But, you know, and search is huge. It's already in the UK, almost without question, bigger than TV. Um, you know, in New Zealand, it's about half a billion dollars a year going into it. In the UK, it's something like four billion pounds going into search. These are enormous sums of money. And some of that, of course, is sensible. But my point is, it's too much. You know, no sensible business should be spending these enormous kinds of percentages of their budget on search. And there's a good example, a case study from the UK of EasyJet, who are a you know, discount airline, yep. very much an online model. Um, and, you know, part of the value they got from their um, brand building campaign was that they were able to reduce the share of their budget they spent on, on um, search from the kind of low 30% down to about 7%. And that is one of the benefits of having a strong brand is you don't have to spend so much on driving that last click, if you like. Because people will go to your website. They go to your website anyway. They're already predisposed. You don't have to keep retargeting them all the time and, you know, throwing offers at them to make that. They, they're anyway very favorably disposed to. And for a mass market brand, that is always going to be the most efficient way in the long term.
Another thing that you have spoken about in the past is how the effectiveness of creativity has decreased over time. So yes. it was yes. previously yes. incredibly effective. And if you look at, yes. if you look at the yeah. creative advertising today, it's not nearly as yeah. effective. So what we've seen over the last uh, five or six years is essentially a halving of the enormous creative creativity bonus so um, if we go back about five or six years then a typically a highly creative campaign was about 12 times I repeat that 12 times as effective as a non-creative campaign that's half to about six times and if you look at that it is simply down to short-termism requiring and developing those campaigns to work in a very short time frame because creativity takes time really to deliver its full benefit it makes you feel uncomfortable when you first see it Sometimes that is the case. You know, I'm not saying they won't work in the short term, but they really deliver their benefits over the long term. Um, and we just don't tend to see that in the short term. So the more we constrain creativity to work in the short term, the more we neuter it. And that is happening again on a big, big scale. One thing that I did, um, I, I mentioned this to you earlier, that um, in the past 12 months we've had three... Um, they're, they're, Three thinkers um, in the advertising industry um, passing through New Zealand. We've had Bob Hoffman, we've had Mark Ritson, and now we've had you. And I couldn't help it. I read an article in Dig DigiDay about the rise of the truthers, and they, they said that um, we basically have an analog fringe of conspiracy theorists questioning everything that's happening in digital. How would you respond to something like that, especially given that everything that you say is backed by yeah. facts? Yes. Well, no... No organisation or no media should be worried about scrutiny and cross-question. If they are worried about people questioning whatever, then they, they're hiding something and they've got something to, to account for. And, you know, I like Mark Ritson and like Bob Hoffman, I just happen to look at a lot of data and a lot of evidence that suggests that um, there's a lot of stuff being oversold in the marketplace. I'm not saying remotely that it is valueless. It clearly isn't valueless. I just think it has been overvalued. Um, I see too much money chasing channels that are in some instances not fully proven and are often being misused but they're being used often in the way that we were told we should use them. So you know what I when we look back over the last 10 or 20 years of the digital revolution we've seen some amazing you know u-turns by media owners you know on the one hand telling us that broadcast media was dead and it was all about one-to-one -one. and then we see very recently a major global advertiser Procter & Gamble who finally were courageous enough to take um, you know Facebook at face value and try that experiment only to get their fingers commercially horribly burned you know so we've been given an awful lot of false certainties over the years I mean the organizations themselves have often changed their points of view about this quite radically over those years but I've never to the best of my knowledge witnessed any kind of apology about that it's a funny thing they never said you know guys we were sorry we're sorry we got it wrong you know we don't actually think that reach and mass marketing is dead. Um, we, we know we once said that, but we'd like to apologise to you because we actually probably misled you. We don't get any of that. We just get the new certainty that is yeah. going to ignite well, our sales well, again. And I think we're all getting to the point now where we're saying, how can we trust this? You know, how can we be sure that this time you're right? Especially when that's you have a, a legitimate question to ask now. Especially when you have a string of continuous metrics issues that are emerging and constant I mean, concerns about the validity. Of, absolutely, you know, there's huge amounts of online fraud, of course, through 
you know, bots and what have you, um, endless nefarious organisations who are, of course, amongst the most creative users of digital that there are. So there are lots and lots of reasons why we should all be extraordinarily wary of anything we do and any dollar we put online. You know, not for no other reason than there's a lot of bad shit going on out there, frankly. And we, sh we, we should and we have a right to expect safeguards and, and transparent metrics that enable us to scrutinize what's going on out there you know it's got nothing to do with facebook or google they're not doing the bad shit it's it's the criminals and terrorists yeah. out there are but they are our interface and they need to help us protect protect ourselves from them so you know there is i think a perfectly legitimate reason why we can all expect greater transparency and you know frankly a bit more help in getting to grips with the quite daunting uncertainties of the, of the online world. It is not the paradise we were once sold it as. You know, the online world has rapidly turned out to be really quite a dark world in many, many ways. And we increasingly have to struggle to get the good stuff out of it and not be um, endlessly taken advantage of by the bad stuff. So we need help, we need transparency, we need metrics, we need organisations who really care about this and face up to the responsibilities that their enormous power and clout um, should give them. So um, I think there's a lot needs to change, personally. It does seem to some degree that the PR blanket is slowly being pulled off and it's being exposed for what it is, a media channel that has its problems and it has its advantages, really. Yes, you know, and there are many great advantages to social <coughs> media, and in many ways I'm a great fan of it. You know, I think used properly in the right way, it can be a huge contributor to success. Um, ditto, you know, search, ditto um, online video. So these, are, these are potentially powerful media. But the trouble is, is that we've not been given clarity about how to use them. We haven't been given, in many instances, wise advice, and nor have we been able to uh, work with metrics that enable us to make fully informed comparisons with other media and other channels. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot that needs, I think, to change if we are you know, going to allow logic and reason to inform our um, media buying. So last year we saw, like you mentioned, uh, Mark Pritchard coming out and um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, setting a challenge for digital to sort, it, sort itself out. Um, do you see that evolving this year? Do you see more marketers coming up and challenging their I, digital I, partners I, to do I, that? I, I do. I mean, obviously, at this precise moment, um, there's, a, there's a lot of interest in the whole idea of, of, of you know, bad stuff that's been going on out there and that I hope will come and pass I hope there will be a response to that and we'll we'll be able to to some degree return to safety but I mean the 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 other issues remain there about you know um uh, what digital delivers of commercial value to marketers and the metrics that go with that and I think that is again something that really um, needs to be worked on you know we need uh, comparable audited, transparent data to work with so that we can make a comparison between, say, a TV buy and, say, a social buy, um, or between a you know, YouTube buy and, say, you know, I don't know, a, a radio buy or whatever. We need, we need some way of being, being clear about this. And at the moment, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. What do you think it would take to to get that level of clarity? Or was that just something that the marketers are going to have to work out themselves? Well, it would. <laughs> it, it takes only the enthusiasm of the key players to offer it, um, and I still don't understand why they're offering it. Clearly, there is an enormous demand from marketers who are increasingly getting hacked off with um, uh, with what's available. 
you know, in most businesses, if you know your customers are unhappy, you do something about it. You understand their needs and you move to meet them. I just don't get it. I do not understand why, um, you know, Facebook in particular, but also um, Google seem to be dragging their feet over meeting the perfectly legitimate requests of advertisers who are pumping billions into their businesses. You know, hell, these guys are trying to tell you something, you know, shape up. I don't see how they can ignore them for much longer. And I would have thought it is much better to um, enthusiastically um, espouse the need to change and to be seen, shown to be uh, enthusiastic and responsible than it is to be dragged kicking and screaming all the way to change. Uh, but, you know, that quite possibly will have to happen. Do you, do you think that there's some concern among marketers to criticise Google and Facebook on account of sounding like a Luddite or somebody um, who's against technology, essentially? Yeah, no, I mean, of course, this is, this is the way it's played. You know, somehow to criticise the duopoly is somehow to be um, a heretic in some way, that you are some hokey, uh, you know, hokey kind of individual living in a straw-covered field somewhere in the middle of nowhere. You know, and I think that's a completely unfair kind of accusation. Many of the people, myself included, who remain critical of of the way many of these big players operate are also their greatest fans. You know, I'm, you know, a, a big believer in, as I said, social and online video as an advertising medium. I would very much like those media to be. Uh, uh, tradable in exactly the same for us to have open, honest, fully accountable um, data to um, work with because I believe they have a success story that's worth telling. Um, but you know, eventually you kind of get annoyed with the way they're playing playing it. So you know, I, I it's a it's a crazy situation. It's a crazy game. It has to change. Are you optimistic that things will come right, or do you think it's going to take some continued criticism and questioning what's happening? I think we'll see. We'll see a little bit more criticism, a little bit more, um, you know, um, arguing. But I think, I think, I am optimistic. I think things will will come good in the end. Um, don't ask me about timescales, but um, but I think it will happen. I think it'll have to happen. Well, Peter, from my perspective, that covers all the questions that I had jotted down. But is there anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation that you think is quite relevant that people might want to, that, that you think people might find interesting out there? Um, you know, I, I suppose there's a big issue around trust, and we've begun to talk about trust. And, you know, I think there are there is a certain amount, again, of misinformation about uh, the fact that consumers no longer want to engage with brands in some way and that somehow the, the brand is on its back. You know, I, I question that to some degree. I really do. I think it's just that, um, you know, brands have slightly lost their way in recent times. Brands still have an enormously valued role in life. Those who would suggest to us that we're in an information-driven age and that we're able to make perfect and informed decisions clearly have never done the grocery shopping you know if you are faced with accompanying <laughs> a, 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 a couple of screaming kids around a grocery store you know with half an hour to make 50 purchases you do not have the time the interest or the inclination to make fully informed purchases no. you are going to make you know 
purchases driven through gut feel instinct and habits. You're not googling the alternatives. Like You're your not going to do it. You're not <laughs> going to do it. You're using what you know the neuroscientists call heuristics to enable you to make mental shortcuts, and that will be that will involve conjuring up all sorts of memories, half memories, and half impressions that you've picked up about brands that you may or may not have bought before, and that is not going to change because we live in the real world. You know that's the truth. So brands are, I think, just as important as ever. The more we are bamboozled by choice, and we are you know, overwhelmed with choice in many markets, the more important it is actually to have a strong brand. Um, and the fact that there may have been some uh, decline in trust for those brands, I think, is in part a reflection of the fact that you know, many of the marketing practices in recent years have started to disturb consumers, particularly how we use their data. We know consumers are very angry. It's, it's been one of the main reasons why we've had the ad blocking revolution um, is, is just consumers real kind of disgust at the way their data it's gets It's an uneasy feeling. Sold. You know, and that could end tomorrow. We should just stop damn well doing it. You know, data is not as valuable as we thought it was because consumers don't like us using it in the way that we at once thought we could. Yeah, I mean, because the, the argument, uh, you touched on behavioral economics, but it is, it's a very rational argument. If you send somebody something that you think that they want to buy, they'll appreciate that. But these things aren't always rational. Yeah. They're not, yeah. It's not your Do buddy you know, knocking on a door offering you some milk. Uh, you, know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's everything within reason. But if, you know, if I do a search for a washing machine and for the next three weeks of my life I get endlessly retargeted ads for washing machines, I'm going to get bored at some point, particularly I'm going to get bored the moment I've made the purchase and I'm still getting the goddamn retargeted ads. You know, and it's, it seems to me for what is supposedly such an intelligent system, it seems conspicuously dumb you know um but again just lack of controls on the volumes of ads served to people and the relentlessness relentlessness with which it's done um and you know these things all need to change yeah um peter i just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and i really appreciate the time you've taken so and you, Damien. Yeah, i great. hope that you enjoy the, re uh, the rest of your time in New no, Zealand. Will do. and will have do. a safe flight thanks very much <laughs> appreciate it eh?